Welcome, listeners, to a podcast that seeks to ignite the flames of inspiration and empowerment within the ServiceNow community. I'm Farah Wells, your host and the director of Linking Humans, the number one global partner for ServiceNow recruitment. Join us on this journey as we venture deep into the world of ServiceNow leaders, discover the very essence of their motivations and the unique mindset that paved the way for their remarkable success. Okay, so welcome everybody. Um, I've got a very special guest today. This is Scott Hemmings. Now he is the IT technical manager at NFU Mutual. Now Scott is responsible for observability, tools, automation, and has application support team. He has spent a lot of his time over the last year working on implementing and then supporting ServiceNow at the NFU Mutual. So Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem, nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. No, that's all right. No worries. You know, um, I was really dreading saying the word observability. So yeah, I was thinking, gosh, I hope I say it correctly. So uh, yeah, so look, a huge thank you for joining us today. Um, for anybody that doesn't know you, um, you know, I think it'd be just really interesting just to share your background journey. Um, just how you first got introduced to ServiceNow um, and how you've achieved such great success, you know, reaching your, your current position where you are today. Yeah, so I started using ServiceNow as an end user about nine or ten years ago um, when I was on the help desk at Skybetting and Gaming. And I was working with the development team that was based in Central Skybetting on implementing the instant management process. Um, so we were trying to do some innovative stuff like sending comms directly from ServiceNow rather than needing an external tool to do that, like email. Um, and then took a bit of a pause while I went into other roles. Um, and then about a year ago, got back involved when we were implementing a project at NFU Mutual. And I was asked to help provide some technical expertise because I had great process knowledge of the ITS and processors. Um, we wanted some help just making sure that we were landing it right with our delivery partner. And we ended up just doing the final tranche of delivery, mainly within our internal development team. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting year getting up to speed following that. Um, it was kind of a baptism of fire. I've not used it from a development perspective before. So, yeah, it's been an interesting yeah. year. Oh, amazing. Sounds really good. And, you know, obviously you said you first used it nine or ten years ago. How has the platform evolved from ten years back to, to what it is today? Yeah, so I think look and feel is obviously... A lot different. I, I think the core capabilities within the ITSM module are pretty much, you know, very similar. We can raise an instant and raise a change. Obviously, the way that users are interacting with ServiceNow is very different nowadays. Long gone are where it was just a service desk analyst that would raise an instant on behalf of someone. Now we've got end users raising instants themselves, so we've got tools that are raising instants directly. So that's changed quite a lot. And then I guess the ease of how it, how easy it is to use today, it's it, it looks miles better. Um, you know, with the automation in the platform to route things automatically, sending emails out and things has just got a lot better over those years. Okay, that sounds amazing. So, you know, obviously you work for a ServiceNow customer. Um, obviously there is consultancy practices out there as well. Like, could you just perhaps for our listeners kind of explain the differences? Obviously, you work for a customer. What the main differences are than going to work for a consultancy partner? Yeah, of course. So 
as a partner, you're dealing with many different customers, so understanding their different needs. And, that, and there's some advantages to doing that over working for a customer. So you're going to see lots of different implementations and lots of different ways of working and cultures. And I, I think that's really great. From the customer side, though, what it allows you to do is I'm able to take requirements that are really specific to my business and have that real deep knowledge of what my customers want in my business and build solutions specific for them. So I understand the challenges that we're facing in different areas of the business that a consultancy might not be able to get from the short time that they're involved in a project. So I, I quite like being in, in the customer shoes. Um, it also means that we get quite a varied knowledge of a platform. Normally with the consultancy, you might work on a specific targeted module or, a, or even an element of that module. And you, I've seen it where people get kind of pigeonholed into just doing the same thing every time they go on to a different project. Whereas here, because my team's quite small, we've got to cover everything across a platform. So they get a great breadth of knowledge across the whole of ServiceNow. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. And, you know, obviously being working for a service and our customer, like what is that kind of breadth of knowledge that you can get? What exposure do you get, I suppose? So within my team, we have four developers and two technical coordinators. So within the six of them, they're literally dealing with everything from requirements gathering all the way through to the development of the solutions, arranging the testing. Um, we're doing upgrades we're looking at different modules. So we purchased ITSM Pro um, when we first went live. We've implemented Virtual Agent. We've implemented a great knowledge um, process. We've also developed a custom app for our HR team to use. And so we've they've been able to oversee that whole breadth of those modules rather than just say, for example, just working on the catalog, which you know one of my previous developers had done. He'd spent lots of time with a previous partner just on the catalog all the time. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So yeah, fantastic. And so obviously, you know, mindset and attitude is probably quite instrumental. Um, you know, probably has been in your journey to, to get to the position you are today. Can you just share with us how it developed and how you maintain it? Yeah, so it's it's changed a lot. So I think when I was younger, much younger, my focus was on kind of visibility and, and wanting to be seen to doing everything, I think, when I was early on in my IT career. I, I guess that's changed a lot now too. Um, how can we make the team deliver the best and make sure they get the recognition for all the work they're doing rather than it being about an individual? Um, so from a mentality, attitude perspective, um, I think showing the team that it's important to learn that it's it's important that we make mistakes as well. Like, and people look at me and go, "What do you mean make mistakes?" And I'm like, "If my team can make a mistake, trust that they're not going to get beaten up about it. We'll move so much quicker." I've worked in teams where if you made a mistake, you got beaten up, and so people hide the mistakes. They don't want to try new things. They they take ages to get to deliver the solution because it's got to be tested a hundred different ways to make sure that they're not going to get beaten up. Because of the approach that we take where we say, look, if you make a mistake, that's fine. That's on me and for, you know, for approving this approach. Um, it allows them to just crack on and deliver really, really quickly. And then when it goes wrong, which it does seldomly, then I take the hit for that's the way that we want to run the team. Wow, that's amazing. That's really inspirational because, you know, I think, yeah, people are always scared to make mistakes because they don't want to get into trouble. But I think, yeah, if you have that kind of culture and that environment where you say, look, guys, be inquisitive, you know, go out there. Um, it's just going to encourage people to 
to explore. And I suppose that's how the platform's going to develop and grow, right? Exactly. And and that's not to say that we don't have governance and controls in place. It's just that we try to limit that governance and those controls wherever we can. So, for example, if if a developer is going to make a, the same change in the catalogue over 20, 30 different items... We don't need to quality check that right every time. We trust that they know what they're doing. So the first time a developer does their first change on the catalogue, we might just verify that it's right and meets the standards. And we might get that UAT'd and go through each of our governance steps. The next time, we're probably going to take a you know a less vigorous approach. And that just shows that to the developers that we're trusting them and that it enables us to move mm. at pace. I love that. Yeah. And it's also you're giving them ownership, right? You're kind of saying to them, guys, you know, you can you have the ownership on this. It's you're not like micromanaging. And yeah, I think that's 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 an amazing kind of uh, thinking the way of thinking. You know, I think it's great. Um, you, you mentioned about like, you know, you worked in an environment where you did get beat up for doing a mistake. Is that perhaps where you kind of thought, you know what, I'm going to do things differently when I become a manager? I think there's two bits to it. So I think your leadership style grows, right? Whatever conversation you have, all your reflection, um, I think it changes. I think in that environment where people were beating up for making mistakes, quality was massively important. And and I can, all, I can also see the benefits of that, right? So they were slower to develop, but everything they developed was pretty much perfect every time. So... But it, for me, there's a trade-off there against, you know, how quickly you can go. And for me, in the environment that we have in our team, I'd much rather move quicker and add the odd mistake because we don't make that many mistakes. So even with all of that, all of those quality checks not being done, well, we're probably still yeah. introducing the same number of defects of teams that are checking everything 100 times. Might be one or two more, but for the, for the amount that we're delivering over and above those teams, great, let's do it. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Yeah. And and I think that because you've got such an open kind of leadership style, people aren't afraid to come to you and cross check, right? You know, you if you have that kind of open culture, people are like, well, Scott, would you mind? Like, I'm going to do this. Can you just double check? You know, they're not afraid, you know, uh, I think that's amazing. 100%. And that became really prevalent last year. We had a new engineer on the team that caused a P1. And because we talked about the culture, I have a one-to-one with everybody that joins my wider teams. And we talk about creating value and the culture in the team. Because we'd had that conversation, she made a mistake. She caused a P1 straight away, just put her hands up and said, I've just caused this P1 that's ongoing right now. And that enabled us not to get the cast of, you know, 10 people that we normally have on a P1 call to try and figure out what's going on. We just were able to go onto that call and say, we've done this, we're changing it, it'll be back in 10 minutes. And that confidence that that gives to our major instant teams and to me as a leader to just go, do you know what, that's that's exactly what we want. That person knows they can go away. Now, the other thing as well is, obviously, we don't make the same mistake twice. And that's really important if you've got a fail fast culture is that we do take accountability. So if that person made that mistake over and over, they'd obviously go down a performance management process. So it's not to say that we're not going to manage that, it's just that, we we don't mind when you do it the first time. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think it's that's really like what a like amazing environment to work in. So and, and like you say, look, people don't make, make they don't make mistakes on purpose. No one ever goes out and goes, 
I'm going to do a really bad job. You know, nobody wants to lose their job, right? So, yeah. you know, I just think it's, uh, I think it's brilliant. So, uh, yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, working in environments, like we've all been in environments, like I've been in environments where you're a bit like, oh, should I say something? Like, I don't want to like get into trouble, you know, but then over time it builds up your resilience, right? So, and, and I think that's really essential in navigating the ups and downs, um, you know, of quite a challenging industry. How have you built resilience, Scott? Like, what strategies do you kind of employ to make sure you bounce back from those setbacks? So I'd say it's more like a system, right? So, you know, one of the things that I try is kind of that plan, do, check, act. So whenever I'm looking at an opportunity to change something, I try to evaluate what's going to happen if we make a change. And then we go and make the change and then measure it afterwards and say, did we have the effect that we do? So when something doesn't go quite right, we go back and look at what did we do in that plan phase that didn't quite meet the desired outcome? And we just make slight refinements each time, say those incremental improvements. And so it's not changing the whole approach to what we're doing. It's just going, actually, do you know what? We, we missed an input into the process. Let's make sure for any more times we make that change, we'll get that input. And, and I think over time, yeah, it's just realising that the system works. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to start from scratch ever, I don't think. You just go, OK, we, we've got to tweak that just about 1%. And it is just marginal gains all the time that we look at, the, at anything we do to go, how do we just tweak that and make it a little bit more effective? Mm, that's amazing. I love that. So brilliant. And and so in your past, in your career, have you had like anyone that you've looked up to, like a mentor or someone who's kind of guided you uh, in your career? Um, like, is anyone that's influenced your own journey that, I mean, you don't need to give out names, but you know, just, yeah, if you need to talk about it, that'd be amazing. So yeah, I worked with a couple of really influential ladies early on in my career at Skybet where we got massive spikes in demand. So because it was majority football related, you can imagine that there's been a known goal and so all of a sudden there's a massive influx of people asking, what happened to my first goal scorer bet? Or there's a draw in, in, in 90 minutes and people are like, oh my God, what's happening to my bets? So you'd see these huge spikes of demand. And what these two ladies did were, they showed that they were part of the team. They'd be sat at home, not working in the evenings, they were nine to five, but they'd jump on and take live chats from customers. And they're in the midst of that with the team. So when the team was busy, they were busy and showing that they're leading by example. You know, they're not meant to be there, but they want to chip in to make sure customers have got a great experience. And I think... That really resonated with me at the time. And I think I try to do that now. Like if we're really struggling, if we're re- if we've got really bad incident, then I'm going to jump in and I might not be doing anything other than sitting there and supporting the team. But I think them just seeing that you're there and around just gives them, I don't know, it feels like we're in it together rather than, you know, I've worked with managers that there's a P1 and the manager just disappears, right? It's five o'clock, I'm off to my weekend and you're like, okay, cool, right? And we'll be sat there like on a P1 all <laughs> weekend. And so, yeah, I think it, it that influenced my, um, you know, my career massively. Um, and then, yeah, I love that. I've had another couple of leaders that have kind of just let me get on with it. So they've said, right, we're bringing you in to do a job, and so just go and do it, right? Like they don't try and micromanage. They don't try and give really small object, like low level objectives. It's just this is the problem, go away and fix that, please. So I've had that both here at NFU Mutual and when I was in um, at Empower, and both bosses just literally said, right, you're the expert here, we brought you in with these skills, I'm not going to tell you how to do it, there's no point, but they're there if we need to check in and get advice. 
Mm. And again, yeah, I try to develop no, my team. Not you know, not the low level. You need to deliver this, 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 and this. Just this problem. Can you go fix that for me, please? Yeah, yeah. And do you know what? People really respect that because I know for me personally, I respect that kind of management style as well. Because this is the thing, like people forget when you hire someone unless they're like a grad or they're training you usually hire people because of the skills that they've got so I suppose it comes down to like people just sometimes find it hard to kind of let go like they they find it hard to kind of really kind of let go and I think it's great that you've kind of got that balance um and and, and yeah. obviously your career you know it's been influenced throughout right it has, and you know what, I'm not perfect at every time. I'm sure if as my team leaders now, they'll say, oh, you know, you've given me a very specific objective over the last couple of weeks at, at some <laughs> point. But it, it's on the yeah. whole, right? Like, what is it we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it on, on the whole? And, and most times it is just, yeah, this is what I want you to do. Go and figure out a way to do it. Um, the yeah. ServiceNow piece yeah. gets a little bit messy because I'm also the um, the platform owner. So it, it, we sometimes we get some crosswires because I have to prove the technical things that the team are doing, not just the, right. the way we deliver, you know, solutions. So, yeah, there's a bit of crossover yeah. there, but it's an interesting challenge that we've got. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and do you find that your your team respect you, like for your style that you have? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I it's hard for me to answer that, right? Like it, it'd have to be time to the team to say. But what I would yeah. say is the team deliver. I'm, I, I can't do my job. In fact, my job doesn't exist without the team, right? And all the success we have in it, that I have is because the team are delivering um, the strategy that we we want them to. So, I I think that yeah. when we started out at NFU Mutual, the way the first six months was really tough. Like we had to build trust from a team that maybe didn't have that um, in place before, and. It, that was really, really hard work, right? We had to change mindsets around how we would work about the, you know, the the no fear of failing. And that was a paradigm shift for a lot of people. So it probably took six to 12 months before we properly embedded that belief within the teams. But since then, yeah. then th- it's great. They, like I said, that people just come in, crack on, do their jobs. They don't need to get permission from anyone. We're not hierarchical at all. If someone needs to go to my boss because I'm not around, they go to the boss or to another team. And I just think we just speed up and remove obstacles for people. Mm. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I, and I can see like your the way you have so much respect for your team that that kind of will translate to them. And, you know, they always say like a happy workforce, you know, it just increases productivity, right? You know that if your team are happy and they enjoy what they're doing and, and they like like who they work for, it, it just it just shifts everything, right? So, um, so yeah, that's amazing. So what I was going to ask you, Scott, like anyone, um, like what key kind of skills or areas of expertise do you think ServiceNow professionals who basically establishing themselves, right? So that they're focusing on developing to enhance their career prospects. How can they kind of start stand out in the industry? Yeah, I, you know, I thought a lot about this question when I saw like what questions we were going to ask today, and and it's really tough because yeah. I, I must see like I, we're recruiting at the moment for a for a contractor, and every CV is the same, right? Mm. Everyone's been on the same qualifications, and so how do you pick one person over another when you want to go to interview, other than looking at things like years of experience? And I think the bit that yeah. everybody misses is they don't talk about the value that they created. So they talk about the qualifications, they talk about the modules, the ServiceNow 
technical things that they've done, but not about the benefits that they created for the business. And so for someone just starting out, I think it's really important that you understand the value that you're creating within the business. So when you're doing like your CV and things, you can call out some key highlights of, I delivered X million pounds worth of benefit from this project. And it doesn't have to be millions, right? It could be hundreds of pounds, but it's just understanding where the value comes from, from your users. And, And that can be tough. So we've got a couple of people in our team that have come from the service desk. And so they understand the challenges that a service desk agent has. So when they're developing solutions, they really feel the benefits that will be realised from that solution. And, mm. and again, that's a big thing for me. If, if, you, if you can demonstrate that you've been in it and, it and live that role, that really helps you then from a development perspective. Now, not everybody can do that, right? We're going to see grads that have never been in industry that are coming through. So for those, I think it's important that they set up a good network within LinkedIn or any other tool that you want to use to do that. Start shouting about the things that you're doing. Um, and there's a lady that really, really went to town with this on LinkedIn recently. So Callie Alexander, um, I, I think she was on the NextGen program in the US and just exploded on LinkedIn. She was almost everywhere. I think she did 100 days of um, Callie where she was talking about the things she was doing in service now. And from there, just got this amazing reputation because she was talking about wow. what she was learning, how she was doing it. And and so straight away, she stands out in the industry. And so I think mm. if people are sharing where they're doing, where they've got little wins and things and post that up on LinkedIn, um, I, people see it, you know, sharing videos on YouTube of some complex problems that you've fixed, posting articles on the community or answering people. I think that all of those kind of things set you apart from, you know, other developers that don't want to invest that time. Yeah, that sounds really amazing advice, really. So um, because obviously, you know, people like let's say an exchange community or anybody who's joining the ServiceNow world that's new, they might think, oh, I'm not experienced enough to kind of shout out about it. But I think that's wonderful advice, Scott, that um, that you shouldn't be afraid. And, and even like you say, it's a small wins, right? It just show it's building up a brand of who you are. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, no, that's amazing. I was going to ask you, like, for for like the new people that are kind of joining the industry, like, where do you guys hang out? <laughs> like, if they want to like be part of this community, like, where does the community hang out? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, I think there's a few different places. So, I I think that the ServiceNow user groups and the events that ServiceNow host are really really valuable. So. I met an amazing network of people at World Forum last year in the UK, and then I went out to Knowledge and met a whole load more new people. And I think just those conversations that you have with that, those other people that are in the industry doing the jobs like you do are really, really valuable. They're going to they're gonna introduce you to new people, new content on LinkedIn. Um, as part of that knowledge experience last year, I was invited into a WhatsApp group where there's loads of people from the UK ServiceNow ecosystem that just chat and it can be anything, right? We talk about people put pictures of the cars and the private number plates, but, you know, a, a, very occasionally there'll be some work-related topics in there. And and we've got an Ask the Community uh, part of that LinkedIn group, uh, sorry, WhatsApp group as well. So people can ask questions of the rest of the group to get their expertise and say, right. yeah, I think there's a few different ones. It always seems to be still, I think, a little bit about who you know, you know, in, in the industry that can right, yeah. put you in touch with people. Um, but maybe, yeah, maybe there's a gap. I think, you know, there's a, obviously the salespeople focus on the leaders and bringing leaders together um, because they're the ones that are going to 
bring money into their organizations but for the low for the devs i'm not sure that you know that there's too much out there in terms of community maybe an area that someone mm-hmm. needs to pick up and try and do some more work in yeah i suppose there is the um service now dev meetups um that they have um in the uk yeah have you ever been to any of those no so because of my role i guess they're a little bit too techy for me um so we were looking at this recently, actually, because CreatorCon is gonna is the day before World Forum this year, and the different tracks actually make it look really appealing. Uh, now, unfortunately, I can't make it because I've got commitments on the day before. But some of those um, different group, different tracks actually make it more appealing for the you know for the less technical people. Um, so yeah, they look really great. I've not been to one myself, um, but hope to get to one soon. Yeah, it looks amazing, doesn't it? And uh, Chuck's uh, running it as well. So it'll be uh, even more amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And um, so, yeah, so so that, that sounds brilliant. I mean, obviously for like the new people that are starting out, you know, there is the ServiceNow certifications, which can hopefully help them um, kind of take a, take a step forward. Do you, what certifications do you recommend for those starting out and wanting to like kind of advance their careers? Yeah, so again, it's quite a tough question depending on what role you want to do, I think. So um, I guess doing the service now, sysadmin fundamentals is just, I think, key for anybody that's going to work in, in the ecosystem. Um, it's a really good you know, intro to the capabilities of the platform. I, I also like the micro certifications that they So it allows me to do something like I did a flow designer one recently and just spending a few hours, but almost getting a real specialist view on on flow designer which was a, a problem for us at that time uh, really handy for me so i'd recommend you know try to do a few of those micro certifications and uh, definitely do the csa and then have a look at what what career path do you want to take the now learning platform with the new learning paths is is really really great I, I, the way that that's evolved over the last kind of 18 months even is just is just amazing so the fact that it's got recommended content that's not necessarily service now delivered now so you know introduction to some podcasts and so, some external resources i think that's really handy because that's what I, I guess it was missing before you'd need to know somebody to to find where those podcasts are whereas now they're mm. presented in the implementation path uh, you know in the learning path sorry so yeah definitely yeah. choose which w- path is best for you and then and just get through as many of the topics as you can yeah that's brilliant and what are those podcasts about are they kind of like technical podcasts are they like learning the platform no there's there's all sorts i think i i can't i was seeing i saw one earlier i can't remember what it was now um but they, they've just got them as part of like one of the tiles that you tick off as part of your journey um is go and have search for this podcast have a look at this um you know this article and stuff like that and mm. i think it's just about building up a bigger picture and a bigger network of information rather than just doing your certification which is what it was you know 18 months ago two years ago was just go and do this course then do this course then do this course it's about saying actually there's loads of content out there that's not specifically created by service now but can help you on your journey and i think that's really important to find that yeah that's really get a load of value from you know articles that people are creating and sharing on linkedin um, that helped me just, I don't know, it might be a specific topic that catches my eye rather than going through a whole training course. Yeah, no, that's, that's brilliant. And for anybody that's brand new to the industry that's looking to get into service now, how can they access the portal? Yeah, so... Do uh, you know? Yeah, it's now learning.service. 
hyphennow.com um, is the yeah. um, is the URL. I I think there are some free content courses on there, and then there are ones that you obviously have to pay for uh, to get the certifications. Uh, but there is a fundamentals kind of intro to do- to service now and it's great i think it's about seven hours of learning um but really teaches you about all all the basics and i'd recommend anybody that's even touching service now whether you're you know a service desk analyst a reporting manager you just go and do that basic course it's something to shout about internally mm. uh, just because it gives you an appreciation of some of the complexity so when you're asking for some you know user stories into a team and you go yeah, actually, it gives you that basis to go, this could be really complicated. Or, do you know what? I kind of think I might know how to do this because I saw it on that course. I just need a little bit of support to get it mm. get it done. And and shifting left to get, enable people to do their own stuff is really important for us. We, we want to take as much demand away from this, from our development team as possible. So where we can support, um, we did lunch and learn type um, things with our teams, like we did one recently on reporting. Um, so that people can go, oh, do you know what? I didn't realise that was a feature. I didn't realise how to get the best out reports. I didn't know how to schedule the report. We're teaching people that kind of stuff. Um, stuff. So we don't have to get those queries in constantly into the team. Okay, so, I mean, ServiceNow, you know, it's rapidly evolving. Um, it's a rapidly evolving platform. It's got new features. It's got new updates. How can like young professionals, um, people that are new to the industry, you know, stay up to date with the latest kind of advancements and just make sure their skills remain relevant and in demand? Yeah, so I find the best thing to do is follow the right people on LinkedIn and they're going to give me all the content and I can consume it. So, for example, Damien Davis is the global product director for ITSM at ServiceNow. Um, he posts content all the time. I've been lucky enough to go on a few dinners with Damien and hear him talk about Gen AI and what's coming Vancouver. Um, and then just recently, actually, uh, Mac McBride from Federa has done a video again about um, what's come out in Vancouver. And so just by following these people and we met, you know, at Knowledge enables you then to go, oh, great. Yeah, actually, I'm consuming information from them. I don't have to go out and find it. It's just going to appear in my feed. And ServiceNow also do a really good job of of having like um, a release. I can't remember the exact terminology for it, but they post the content about the releases and it tells you all about what's changing. Um, So that's really handy as well. But it's easy to get bogged down because there's so much documentation. So I like LinkedIn just because I can absorb it in little videos and little bit bite-sized changes. I'm always emailing myself the links to articles on on LinkedIn so that I've got when I've got more time I can go back and review them properly because it's normally in an evening or something when I spot it on my phone I'm like right save that to my email and I'll go back and look at it in the next couple of yeah, days. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Do you find like the uh, like for anyone that doesn't know the service in our community, do you find everyone's quite helpful? Like, do you do you find that people are quite happy to put their hands up and and help? Like, massively, yeah. I. Most people have come across a problem and worked for it for hours and then have come up with a great solution. And you know, when we see those being shared either on the ServiceNow community pages or just within the ecosystem with the connections we make, I, I just think everybody is really willing to support you in, in that. Um, even you know, partners that aren't getting paid to share that information have some really great content on their, on their websites to help people just not make mistakes. Um, and I'm hoping we do more in that space. I, I really love a conference where we just talk about what went wrong and how do we avoid it. It'll have to be done in the right way because we, you know, we want to get the advantages of this, the product. We don't want to be talking like in a negative way. 
But I talk about this a lot when we go to dinners and things. That we all make the same mistakes, and and you'll make a mistake, and you go, "Did you come across it?" Just like, "Oh yeah, that took me ages. You just did that, didn't you?" And I went, "Yeah, yeah." And I was just like, "I wish there was a place to just go all the mistakes that we've made, so that if we're looking at a new like idea of capability or something, we go like, let's look at these gotchas and make sure that we don't hit them ourselves." Yeah. Um, yeah no definitely so yeah, we'll see how so, yeah I mean that that, well, that's the thing like you know if, and I suppose the forums are great for that because you kind of socially meet up with everybody and it's a bit like you can share your experiences you can talk about what what are you doing what am I doing you know and it's like oh you know how can I do this so it's almost like like I'm like that as well it's like look if you've done it and you've been a successful just give me the answer you know don't ask me questions like around it just tell me what you did that worked and what you did that didn't and I can like it's almost like you know the shortcut way of of getting it right the first time around isn't it yeah as much as we can exactly that so you know some of the the documentation is great it tells you how the product works it doesn't necessarily tell you the considerations you need to make when you're implementing it and so I think it's almost that's that lived knowledge that we need to be sharing and it's hard to do that right in product documentation and things so the only way we can do that is by speaking to each other in the community and say i've got this problem or i've I've been going thinking of doing this is there anything we should watch out for yeah and yeah i think we i get loads of feedback from people when they ask those questions yeah no that's amazing and and i I know i know you mentioned that you're part of a whatsapp group but i know you probably have to be invited to that is there any other like uh forums like on the internet perhaps where people can just join in and go hey guys has anyone done this and give me some hinters like is there anything else that's a bit more public that anyone can join so there's a couple of linkedin groups um i only use one of them actually so um, there's a strategic leadership group okay. which is more for service now customers product owners so you know people in a similar service owner position to me um, but again, we're just trying to get that group off the ground. I think we've got about 50 product owners in there, oh, wow. platform owners. Um, and we're just trying to, yeah, understand how best to serve content to people and, you know, answer the questions that we've got. What are our group challenges and, and how do we address them? And it's just hard to get content like that off the ground, right? Like answering the odd questions, great, like it works, but you've got to engage the group all the time yeah. to get any value of it and that's quite difficult yeah definitely are you kind of did you set that up did you or did you help set it up um, no so I got invited into it actually after knowledge um this last year I got invited in and so yeah we've got a small leadership group where we're just trying to talk about how do we make it work mm-hmm. we've set some kind of ground rules for the group so that you know of what we're aiming to do but now it's just taking that to the next level of right how do we get the group engaged and get some some discussions going about topics that everyone's interested in yeah definitely do you find that the service line community is quite small like let's say i don't know pick another technology is completely different um like salesforce for example is massive do you find that the service line community is much smaller like everybody knows each other or do you still think it's actually quite big so I think it's reasonably small in the UK. So when I go to different events, you bump into the same people like every time. I just think there's probably a lot of people that don't engage with the groups. Either they don't want to or they don't know they exist. And so we've got to get some, yeah, either greater visibility of those groups and resources that are out there. Um, or, yeah, I don't know, some developers just don't like speaking to people. Right? They, <laughs> they, you know, you're, you're old school developer that just sits with your hoodie and your earphones in and doesn't talk to people. Um, but yeah, it's how how do we bring people out of the shells and into those events? Um, and 
Yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is, if I'm honest, Farrow, but yeah. I'm, I, there seems to be a lot of people when I, you know, that work in service now, um, but not a lot of people that are part of those groups. Yeah, and I suppose it's about encouraging everyone that look, you, you, you're all invited, right? It's, everything should be open and it doesn't matter what you do, what stage you're in your career. Um, even if you sometimes people just want to like observe, right? So... Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And, you know, I mean... I think, I think people get scared, mm. right? Sorry. No, go. I think people get scared um, of the fact that they don't... They might not always know and they might feel silly for asking the questions. And I think uh, there's so much of a partner network out there in the ecosystem where you've relied on a partner to implement some or deliver a solution rather than you doing it as a customer. And, and I think people maybe just feel like, that they might not have the right knowledge to even ask the questions. Mm. And I'd just say, don't worry about it. If, if you've got a question, stick it in there. There's no, nobody's going to be beating people up for asking basic questions. I, I ask them all the time, especially of my teams. Um, and I think it, it's, you've got to show that humility, right? That you don't know everything. It's such a big platform. There's so no, I don't think anybody knows the whole thing inside out anywhere now. Yeah. It's that big. Yeah, no, it's great advice. And, you know, just talking about humility, humility, um, I, I think it's, I think, Personally, I think it's really important to balance kind of ambition and humility, especially when you're young, right? You're, you're just so hungry. You're always chasing it. How have you managed to stay so grounded, Scott, and, uh, and maintain that humility, but at the same time being really, really successful at what you do? Yeah, so I'd say that actually I probably went wrong in my early career. I touched on it earlier, but actually when I was younger, it was all about me and all about the success of what I was doing and not what the team were doing. And so I was made redundant and that really made me reflect on why I'd been made redundant. And I, I learned then that you've got to, you, you're part of a team and you're, you're only as good as what the team delivers. And so when I went into leadership, it was, it was almost like I'd learned the perfect lesson there, but it doesn't matter what I do. I don't have to shout about anything I do. I don't need the success. Just shout about what the team are doing. So, yeah. for example, at the moment, we send a weekly highs and lows email out to our leadership team. And it's just celebrating each team and everything that has gone well. Then nothing to do with what I've done, right? It's just what the individual teams have delivered that week that has been great. Yeah. And just highlighting things like that really just goes, actually, it's, it's all about the team, not about me. Yeah. And then... I've learned that my success will come from the teams being successful in what they're delivering. That's amazing. I love that outlook. So, yeah. And just reflecting on your own kind of journey that you've had, to, you know, in your career, what advice would you give to somebody who is literally starting out? You know, this is like perhaps their first or second role. You know, they're just literally starting their journey. Like what advice would you give them? So don't be cautious. Go and find information. It's not going to be given to you. Um, so go and try new things. Um, shout about what you and your teams are working on um, on the platforms available to you. Um, and yeah, just don't be, don't be afraid to try new things. Go for the big job that you don't think you're quite qualified for because if you go in there with the right attitude, you've got a great chance against people that have got experience that have got a bad attitude. Yeah. So just go and try yeah. things. Um, don't be yeah, scared. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So and you know what? T talking about being scared, uh, we all have moments. I have it. You know, I know everybody has it where we have a little bit of like anxiety thinking, oh God, you know, am I really, like, is this really like, it's almost like imposter syndrome, right? So... How do you kind of build that kind of, um, let's just say that, 
how do you overcome those feelings of you know insecurity that I think everybody's had throughout their career how do you how have you managed that Scott I don't think you ever do or I I certainly don't so I I reflect a lot on um you know interactions I have on work that I've delivered and and try to find improvements in that and I'm quite self-critical of myself so I'd say I'm probably not the best person to ask that question of um but you know, techniques I've heard from other people that work is just celebrate the small, the small wins, and um, and don't worry too much when things go wrong. Trust if you've got a system in place that that system will work in the long run, and so short term failures don't really matter. Uh, they're not important to the overall success of the system. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's probably it for me. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's a hard one for me because I, I I reflect so much and I could have one bad conversation. I'd think about it for the whole weekend. And things yeah, like that. Over so. thinking. I think I, I'm the same. So yeah, and it's uh yeah no, but but I think I, I love that. It's you know it's 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 about having confidence and nobody's wanting you to fail, right? No one's setting you up to fail. And I think if you can realise that people just want you to do the best you can, it, it gives you that kind of inner confidence to go right. You know what? Um, yeah, no, it's just great. So, yeah, brilliant. And look, I think, like, finally, like, let's pretend we're in Back to the Future, right? So <laughs> you can be Marty McFly, you know? Let's just say, <laughs> if you could go back in a time machine and talk to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give him? And this can be totally non-work-related as well. It doesn't have to be anything to do with work. I'd probably have bought some Bitcoin because that would have done me quite well, I think. <laughs> I so, think that would be amazing. Um, I'd probably start with buying some Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I think that I would have got into IT a little bit sooner. So I don't think I got into IT until I was in my really late 20s. And so I think that I probably lost seven or eight years. Um, but at the time, I didn't I didn't realise I had a route into IT. Um, so I worked in sales for a number of years and I was like, how am I going to transition into that? And I just got lucky. Um, I worked in customer operations and um, a guy that ran um, IT service management at Skybet came up to me one day and goes, you know everything about all those systems and how they all work. Um, how about coming and work for me in IT where you'll know nothing? And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's do it. And that's how that was the jump that I needed. So I would say, don't be afraid um, to you know, go in an entry level role. I started in the service desk and I thought, I think it's a great place to build foundation knowledge. If you, if you've not done, you know, a, a great degree or um, you've not got a specific area, but you want to go in or you're in an, in a different role and you think I want to get into IT, don't be afraid to, to go for a service desk role. The skills, the transferable skills you'll have from any role like customer services will will transition you into a service desk role. And the knowledge you get there will enable you to go, actually, I quite like this area of IT or not so much. And yeah, I guess as leaders in IT, it's for us to then help bring people along from the service desk and those entry level positions and have learning paths for them to develop into other roles. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. And you know what? I really, I admire people that do service, um, you know, service desk roles, you know, first, second, third line support, because it builds so much resilience. You know, um, you get so many problems thrown at you. You get things, curveballs that you were not expecting. You have to manage your time so well. You have to manage deadlines. I, I just, I really admire people that kind of come from that background because it's really, it's tough sometimes. Um it's a really hard it's a really hard job yeah and so you know 
But again, nobody's going to just give you the next opportunity, right, to get out of a service desk. You've got to be wanting to develop and and almost drive your own development out of that role. And I think some people sit back and just wait for things to happen. Um, but the people that we've seen that we've brought into our technical teams from the service desk here at NFU Mutual have been people that we have just got the right behaviours. So we they shine a mile over people that just want to sit back and wait for things to happen. Yeah. So yeah. we're able to go, do you know what? That person will be great. If we bring them in our team, they're going to go and seek knowledge. They're going to want to make things better yeah. rather than they're going to come in and sit and we're going to have to teach them everything. Yeah. So we've been lucky that we've, I think we've probably brought four or five people across from the service desk into our technical operations team over the last two years. And we've had great success. Yeah. Really great success. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So, well, look, Scott, I just want to say a huge thank you to you. It's been absolutely brilliant speaking with you. Um, I think anybody that gets to work for you and your team is absolutely so lucky. Um, uh, you know, I could see you great boss. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on today. No problem. Thanks for having me.